0: Can cardiovascular stress research teach us anything about insomnia? Our guest today knows the answer. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt and with me today is Dr. Christopher Drake. Dr. Drake is Bioscientific Staff Investigator at the Henry Ford Hospital Sleep Disorders and Research Center and Assistant Professor of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neurosciences at the School of Medicine at Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. Drake.
1: Hi, Leslie. Great to be here. Thanks very much for having me on.
0: So, Chris, how common is insomnia in those patients that also have chronic medical conditions?
1: Well, of course, it's going to vary depending on what condition we're speaking about. But in most cases, if we're not talking about a psychiatric disorder like depression, the actual prevalence of insomnia is only about 40 to 50% of patients with any given medical disorder. Say individuals, for instance, with cardiovascular disease or various types of things like hypertension or diabetes, many physicians will often think, well, sort of common or, or almost obvious that a patient with that type of condition is going to have difficulty sleeping, but that's actually not the case. When you bring those individuals into the sleep laboratory and actually measure their sleep, you find very, uh, very different kind of, of results.
0: So, so tell us about that. You, you have data on what these patients actually look like in the sleep lab?
1: Yes, absolutely. We've done a number of studies, one of which where we brought individuals from the general population with a variety of medical diseases from heart disease to thyroid problems, arthritis, migraines, and actually brought them in to sleep overnight in a sleep lab where we measure their physiological activity and, and can actually get an assessment of their actual sleep as opposed to what they simply report. And what we find is, interestingly enough, individuals with a variety of diseases that you'd expect to have sleep disturbance actually fall asleep pretty quickly and sleep very well. It's only a subset of these individuals who actually have a significant sleep disturbance.
0: Does it vary by diagnosis or do certain medical conditions in general have worse insomnia associated with them?
1: Well, it does. In, in particular, as I, as I mentioned earlier, depressed patients typically have the most disturbed sleep. But after you go beyond that, Most of the uh, different medical disorders that one looks at in terms of sleep disturbance are pretty similar in terms of the amount of uh, disruption they actually present with.
0: And so that's when you get to that 40 to 50% level. That's correct. Now, Chris, what do you see in terms of those of us that practice and don't have easy access to a sleep lab? What is the difference between what people report as their sleep versus what you actually measure in the lab?
1: Well, actually, people typically report that their sleep is much more disturbed than it actually ends up Uh being when you study it in the laboratory. And people tend to over-report how much um, sleep they lose during a night, how long it takes them to fall asleep. Uh, Those are common misperceptions in patients, or it could be a fault of the equipment that we use actually to assess sleep in the laboratory, and we may not be really measuring the right part of the brain to show the hyperarousal that's present in many of these patients who are complaining of insomnia but don't seem to have sleep disturbance when we look at it in a laboratory. So there's some controversy there about, about where we should really look for insomnia in terms of physiological variables.
0: Now, in those 40 to 50% of patients that have a chronic medical condition that also have insomnia, does it mean that those disorders cause their insomnia? No, it's,
1: it's really best to think of these disorders as triggers of insomnia in a subset of individuals who are particularly vulnerable. This specific subset of patients is what we're really mainly interested in. What makes these individuals vulnerable to getting sleep disturbance given a specific disease state versus individuals who are fairly resistant to any kind of sleep disturbance given any kind of medical disorder or other stressors.
0: And do you have any conclusions about that? Who, who is likely to get the insomnia out of these people?
1: Well, one of the things that we've been studying is this idea that there are individuals out there who have a particularly reactive sleep system, similar to much of the research that's been done in cardiovascular disease, where if you bring individuals into the laboratory and stress them, it's those people who have big responses in terms of blood pressure who are normal tenses who go on after you know, 10, 15 years to develop hypertension, we're similarly looking at if you bring individuals who are normal sleepers into the laboratory and actually stress them with a sleep challenge, what we call a sleep challenge, it's those individuals who have reactive sleep systems that we believe are the ones that are at the highest risk for going on to develop chronic sleep disturbance as precipitated by, for instance, a medical disorder or uh, some other type of stressor in the environment.
0: So what is a reactive sleep system?
1: Well, we can, again, we can measure it uh, with a physiological assay of sleep, so we can measure how long it takes an individual to sleep. Say, for instance, after one gives them a, a low dose of caffeine, and we can see how long it takes an individual to fall asleep. At a very low dose of caffeine, there's really only about a 50% or so subset of individuals who actually have significant sleep disturbance from that kind of a a challenge. Similarly, you can ask individuals to give a speech the following day, and that will disrupt sleep. Again, in only a very small subset of individuals does that sleep disturbance really reach a clinically significant level, And, and these are in normal individuals, and when you follow them along over the course of about a year, what we found is that it's those reactive individuals who are at a much greater risk for eventually developing chronic insomnia over a longitudinal period of about a year or so. And those individuals, those reactive sleepers, those individuals with a high sleep reactivity, again, are the ones that we really want to concentrate in, in terms of our research, in terms of developing adequate treatments, and so forth.
0: So back to my initial question, can cardiovascular stress research teach us about insomnia? It sounds like it can.
1: Well, I think, yeah, we've sort of borrowed from some of their methodologies, and now we're looking to see what specific aspects of that reactivity are predictive of long-term development of insomnia.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Christopher Drake. We are discussing trait, predisposition for insomnia. Chris, your group in Michigan has developed the FIRST, FIRST. Tell us about that.
1: This is really just a paper and pencil measure of what we consider to be an important trait in individuals that may determine whether or not they're at risk for developing insomnia, given a variety of different precipitants. So this is something we call the Ford insomnia response to stress test. And, and it really just measures how reactive individuals are in terms of their sleep system to a variety of different stressors. It's only about nine questions, but it was developed uh, over many years out of uh, about 50 or so questions that we thought might be predictive. And, in fact, this test really does give us an accurate prediction of individuals who may be at a, a much higher elevated risk for uh, developing chronic insomnia.
0: And can you give us a sense of what those questions are?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah. We ask things like, uh, how do you sleep following a stressful event during the day or evening? How likely is it for you to have sleep disturbance uh, after seeing a frightening movie or a TV show? And even positive stressors, such as going on vacation, which can precipitate insomnia in some, in some people. Uh, certainly can be a predictive factor as well. So we've got a, a lot of psychosocial questions in there, like after having an argument or, or getting bad news during the day. And uh, what we found is these specific questions are, in, in general, very predictive of Uh, again, the development of insomnia, chronic insomnia over time.
0: Is this something that's ready for prime time that we all can use, or is this still in the research stage?
1: Well, it's certainly something I think that can be helpful in identifying at-risk individuals. It's something that probably is going to be improved upon over the the next several years. And it's certainly uh, unclear at this point in time whether or not this particular measure predicts any outcome in terms of how one responds to, say, for instance, a sleep medication. But certainly those studies are undergoing testing at this point in time and we're sort of pretty positive about what we might find, but uh, there's certainly a lot of work to be done here.
0: So thinking back for those of us that work in the clinical situation and not in the lab, how might this help us think about treating patients with insomnia?
1: Well, I think if you have to think about insomnia as having really three different types of, of factors that come into play. One of those is obviously the precipitating factor. So you want to identify, and this is what most clinicians will focus on, is what has triggered the insomnia. Is that a medical disease? Is there some kind of psychosocial stressor in the individual's environment? And, um, and that's certainly a, a key factor. Another factor is how does an individual maintain and why, what, what sort of keeps the insomnia going even after that initial precipitant is gone. But the third P in the 3P model, as, as we call it, is predisposing factors. And the predisposing factor is really addressed by this reactivity measure that we have. So as a clinician looks at a patient, not only should they look at how that patient's been exposed to a trigger or how their maladaptive sleep behaviors might be maintaining the sleep disturbance over time, but should also look at the inherent vulnerability in that individual. What's that sort of predisposing factor, level of predisposing factor in that particular person, and that goes back to how they slept in early childhood, how they responded prior to getting insomnia, how they responded to stressors with regard to their sleep system. So it's really important, I think, for the clinician to look at all three of those factors, particularly in someone who may be about to be exposed to a stressful event like a surgical procedure in the hospital or something like that, if there is a vulnerability in that individual, it's certainly someone where you might want to direct some prophylactic preventative measures to in terms of their sleep.
0: So that's huge. We really haven't thought about preventing insomnia before.
1: Absolutely. And I I think we really need to begin to understand uh, what some of the tools that patients can obtain to improve their ability to cope with stressors to reduce the chances that a particular precipitant, whether it be medical disease or psychosocial stress, produces long-term insomnia.
0: Wow, lots to think about. Now, if people want to get more information about this, Chris, any ideas where they can look?
1: Well, there's certainly a growing literature on the predisposition to Insomnia. the The National Sleep Foundation really has uh, a great website at www.sleepfoundation.org, and that website it really has a lot of good information on, on the 3P model and what assessments are out there in terms of using this. And of course, the scientific literature is beginning to increase the number of studies that have been done using these kinds of models and, and looking at the the vulnerability factors.
0: Well, thanks so much for being on our show today.
1: Sure thing, Leslie. Thank you.
0: We've been speaking with. With our guest, Dr. Christopher Drake, who's the bioscientific staff investigator at the Henry Ford Hospital Sleep Disorders and Research Center in Detroit, Michigan. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. Give us a call toll-free with your comments and suggestions or ideas for future shows. Call us at 888-888- 639 6157. Once more, that's 888 639 6157. Thank you for listening.